Welcome to the Record of Our Forebears podcast. I'm your host, Roland Godette III, and with me today is my wife, Summer wonderful Godette. wife, Summer oh, Godette. Yes, wonderful yes, wife. Yes, my Don't wonderful wife, right. Summer Godette. <laughs> and on the Record of Our Forebears podcast, we discuss some of the dopest black folks that you may or may not have heard of. So, you know the drill. Grab some pen, grab a pen, some paper, or your note-taking app, and get ready to get familiar with somebody new. Today, we're going to be discussing Charles Octavius Booth and Elizabeth Keckley. All right, so have you ever heard of Charles, Charles Booth? Why does that last name sound so familiar to me? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so I know you got a strong middle name, Octavius. <laughs> it's a strong middle name, Charles Octavius Booth. So let's get into Charles Octavius Booth. Okay. So Charles Octavius Booth, I like saying Octavius, as you can tell, <laughs> was born into slavery on June 15th, 1845 in Mobile County, Alabama. So there's not really a whole lot known about his uh, life growing up. But uh, he wrote a book, it's called The Cyclopedia of Colored Baptists in Alabama, and he kind of gives himself a short biography. Okay. Hey, so the book was basically about the, the Baptist people in Alabama and like their work that they did. Um, so he, being one of the black mm-hmm. Baptists, gave himself kind of a short biography. Okay. And so what he said was, his maternal great-grandmother was born on the west coast of Africa, where she was kidnapped, enslaved, and brought to Virginia. His paternal grandfather was also born in Africa. And it says that uh, he said that he was extremely proud of being of knowing that he had a connection mm-hmm. to the continent. Mm-hmm. Of course. Right. And so he also lists uh, several things that stuck with him from his uh, very, very early years. He said, um, stored away in my earliest memories, I find the songs and family prayers of my step grandfather, a pure African who had not only learned to read his Bible and hymn book, but had also learned the rudiments of vocal music sufficiently, sufficiently well to teach the art of singing. Another thing he listed was a Baptist church in the forest where white and colored people sat together to commune and wash each other's feet. The third thing he says is the saintly face and pure life of my grandmother to whom white and black went for prayer or for comfort in times of their sorrows. Wow. And then the last thing he listed was a tin plate that contained the alphabet from which at the age of three, I learned the English letters. So these are things that he says stuck with him for his whole life. Mm. Like seeing, you know, black and white Christians together washing each other's feet. He's a slave and they're in the woods meeting, doing something that they probably couldn't do unless they was in the woods, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, having a grandfather who was pure African, but who was also a believer, who had read the Bible, who was teaching people how to sing. His mm-hmm. grandmother being like a, you know, a pillar in their community, even mm-hmm. for white people, you know, and other black people who were sorrowful. They would come to her for prayer. Like, how powerful is your prayer? are your prayers? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's, it's. Wow. Yeah. So, um, although uh, he says that although he encountered Christianity at a young age, he was not converted until about 1860. So he was about 15 okay. when he was converted. He said he wasn't baptized until 1866. And then at the age of 23 in uh, 1868, he was ordained as a Baptist minister. Uh, so 
one of the main concerns uh, that Charles Booth had was he wanted to uplift the newly emancipated black people through basic literacy and religious education. Uh, because, of, because of these concerns, he volunteered to teach at various schools that were set up by Freedmen's Bureaus in Alabama. Taught at about, I think he said taught at about three or four public schools mm-hmm. that have been set up by the Freedmen's Bureau. We talked about yep. those, yeah. So he, he wanted to dispel the ignorance and misconceptions opposed upon black people by the institution of slavery and create a path to social advancement. So that was his goal of education. Like, look, they kept us uneducated, mm-hmm. and now we can't advance because of that. Mm-hmm. We have to change that right now. Okay, I'm gonna come teach. We're gonna change all that. Um, he also resisted uh, the endeavors of several white people to control black religious ministries. So a lot of times, like when he was trying to build something, like there would be a white church that would want to help, you know, get behind him teaching black kids, but they would want to be in control of it. He was like, no, let us control it. Let us control our own stuff. Like, we don't need y'all to be in charge. Okay. You know, if you want to help, great. Mm-hmm. But we don't need you to be in charge. Um, and so in the early 1870s, he helped to establish the Colored Baptist Missionary Convention. It was an organization uh, that was like a ministerial alliance of black Baptist churches, similar to kind of what, you know, we would see today, like the Southern Baptist Convention mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of black, uh, a bunch of Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. This was like the black version of that in the 1870s. So in uh, 1877, the Second Colored Baptist Church was organized in Montgomery, Alabama uh, by freedmen. So, you know, free black men and women, they came together to organize a church. Charles Booth became the first pastor of this church. And by 1883, the congregation had built a building and the church would change its name to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. This church was built on a lot that faced the Alabama state capitol on the site of a former slave trading pen. They picked the spot on purpose. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) They (laughs) picked the spot on purpose. And despite consistent threats from the white community, the church refused to move. The church is still on that spot today. I went on Google Maps because I was like, man, I got to see if this church is this close to the to the state capitol. I went and I put the little, dropped the little guy there and yes. I flipped it around uh-huh. so you can see the state capitol of Alabama. You got this little church still sitting right there. Wonderful. So, now, Dexter Avenue. Mm. Name sounds familiar, right? Very familiar. You know, you know what Dexter Avenue mm-hmm. is, but people may not know what Dexter Avenue is. If it doesn't sound familiar, I'm going to give you a reason why it should. So, One of the reasons that Dexter Avenue is a very well-known church is because almost 80 years after Booth became its first pastor, a young reverend named Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. would be inserted as the church's 20th pastor. It was at this church in his office in the basement where he helped organize the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. Mm -hmm. The church was eventually renamed Dexter Avenue King Memorial Baptist Church in 1978 in memory of Dr. Martin Luther King. Wow. Yeah, so Charles Booth started Dexter Avenue Church. Mm, It's crazy. mm. So I'm going to ask you a question. So have you ever thought to yourself, right? You ever said to yourself, self, (laughs) I wish there was a simpler way to explain theology to people. Hmm, yes. Okay. (laughs) All right, so... You know, some people may have not thought about that, but Charles Booth had that same question. Mm -hmm. He thought that to himself, Mm -hmm. and he had the same answer you had. Mm -hmm. Yes, he did. And he realized that there was a dearth of resources that explained the deeper things of theology to the the layperson, specifically to black people. 
So he couldn't find any resources. He created the resource. He, in, uh, in 1890, he published his book, Plain Theology for Plain People. And according to Booth, the intention of the book was to explain the doctrines of our holy religion with simplicity of arrangement and simplicity of language. Mm. It's a systematic theology book, but written for ex, you know, former slaves, mm-hmm. former enslaved people, mm-hmm. and at their language, at their level, but it talks about theology. Like, I've read the book. It's one of the best, like, system, I've read a couple of systematic theology books. Mm-hmm. This is, like, up there with the best ones. Like, that's, like, playing theology for playing people. Mm-hmm. Listen, look, I don't know how many guys, how many people are going to, uh, to, to theology, uh, to school for theology, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to seminary, mm-hmm. get plain theology for plain people, add it to your library. Mm. Um, so all the years uh, that he spent um, endeavoring to improve, uh, improve the conditions of black folks and fighting for racial oppression took a, a big toll on Charles Booth. And at the age of 70, he finally retired and he retired to the North. And or he retired maybe like in the first decade of the 1900s uh, and he lived in Detroit and he actually died in Detroit sometime in 1924 wow. and he's buried somewhere in Detroit. Oh my and I goodness. tried to find where his grave site is. I don't know where it is. Like there, it's not listed anywhere, but he's buried somewhere in Detroit. We need to find it. That's a goal of mine. Okay. A goal of mine is to find where Charles Octavius Booth is buried. <sighs> but yeah, Charles Octavius Booth is incredible. I'm telling you that book uh, plain theology for plain people. I got it. It's incredible. You okay. can buy it on Amazon. It's not like the, uh, it's not like the Char- it's not like the Jack Yates book where it's only like a few of them. Where yes, yeah, it's it's there. So Charles Octavius Booth, just amazing. Like when we start thinking about, like when I think about our forebears, right? Thinking about okay, the prominent and well-known like amazing black Christians mm-hmm. and you know we th- I think about Dr. King right yeah. and I'm like okay everyone knows him and he's just this giant mm-hmm. um and like that's often times where we start yeah but he stood on someone else's shoulders yep. like even before him like there was <laughs> Yeah. You know, there was someone else who was there that that he had um, that paved the way for him. Right. The foundation that built the foundation for him that um, shared all of this knowledge and the gospel. Mm -hmm. And had it not been for these people, Mm -hmm. these unsung like heroes. Right. We wouldn't have a Dr. King. We wouldn't have a Reverend Dr. King. Like it just. Wow. 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 And just uh, like I'm telling you, just that stark contrast of seeing downtown Montgomery, Alabama, like where the state capital is and seeing Dexter Avenue Church there. Like it looks like something of the past, but it's a reminder like we here mm-hmm. and we've been here and mm-hmm. we're going to be here. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. OK, well. As you stated earlier, I'm going to share a little bit about Elizabeth Hobbs Keekly. I think it's Keckley. Is it Keckley? Keckley or Keekly? I apologize because I am (laughs) 
probably pronouncing it incorrectly. I'll say Cackley um, for for this, and then someone can help us figure this <laughs> pronunciation correctly. Um, but Elizabeth Hobbs Cackley is best known as Mary Lincoln's dressmaker. Mm-hmm. Mary Lincoln being the wife of former U.S. President Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Elizabeth Keekley was uh, best known as Mary Lincoln's dressmaker and confident, uh, confidant, right? And uh, she's the author of, here we go again with these very long <laughs> book titles, so bear with me. She's the author of Behind the Scenes by Elizabeth Keckley, formerly a slave, but more recently, is it modest? I think so. And friend to Mrs. Abraham Lincoln or 30 years a slave and four years in the White House. There so, we go. So the title tells exactly what the book is about. <laughs> this is what the book is about. You can judge this yeah, book by this cover. You can cover. judge it by its cover because you know exactly <laughs> what's going to be in it. Yeah. And that was uh, published in 1868. Oh, wow. Well, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hobbs was born into slavery um, on uh, the Colonel um, Armistead, uh, Armistead Burwell Farm. In Dinwiddie County, Virginia, mm-hmm. in 1818, to Agnes and George Pleasant Hobbs. Now, Agnes and George um, had an uh, quote unquote a broad marriage, meaning um, that except for uh, one brief of period of time when George resided in the um, on the Burwell property, the family lived apart. Mm-hmm. Um, now, George Hobbs was. Um, Parted from his family permanently um, when his master uh, relocated west. Now, when Elizabeth was 14, she was sent to live uh, with her master's eldest son. So here we go again, having just the families be ripped apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we hear about this really sad story. Um, Unfortunately, reoccurring thing for black families um, in America. She was sent to live with her master's eldest son, um, the Reverend Robert Burwell, and his wife in uh, North Carolina. Mm. So just down, you know, right down the road in the neighboring state. Now, during this time, she endured whippings um, Mm. and beatings uh, from like the village schoolmaster, a Mr. Bingham. And she actually describes the assaults um, in her book. Um, And um, one assault in particular, she she talks about when she was about 18 years old. And she was like, I was a woman at this point. And how this time she said, no, like, you're not going to beat me. Um, and she talked about he would strip, she would be stripped naked, just mm-hmm. dehumanized, because we know at this time there were, that was the law of the land, is that black yep. people were property. Yep. Um, although we do know that there were um, black, of course, and white people who were definitely against that, that belief mm-hmm. they were the abolitionists. Um, but, you know, at this time, she she talked about that and um, we have her account because she wrote it. You know, she left that for us um, and she talked about that, that beating when she was 18. Um, just, you know, really how her body was torn, oh. rip was torn, her flesh was ripped and torn and just how she would not break like Mm. she would not break for him um at the age of 20 elizabeth became pregnant as the result of rape so Mm. she's still endured a lot of um 
assaults physically um, and of course mentally and in this way you know she had her only child came out of this rape George um, he was born in 1839 okay. um, and after the birth of her son she was about 21 years of age um, she was sent back when she was 21 back to Virginia to live with her master's daughter so oh, just a lot just of passing her around, passing her around. To his family. Um, That's crazy. And uh, her master's daughter, Anne Burwell Garland, and Anne's husband, Hugh. So from Virginia, she accompanied the Garland family when they moved west. So they moved out west to St. Louis okay. um, in 1847. And she began work as a seamstress and a dressmaker. And she had acquired those skills. Of course, you know, we know, we know mm -hmm. not from a school. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't go to a prestigious, you know, institution or go over to France to learn dressmaking. She learned that from her mother. Mm -hmm. And her mother had passed that skill down to her. And because of her her skill she was amazing that actually helped support the entire Garland family wow they were living off of Elizabeth wow. now her reput reputation as a skilled dressmaker and seamstress it grew um, mm -hmm. and people knew her and her patrons they came um, from all over but more importantly for her they were like the elite citizens okay um, and so while she was in St. Louis, she became uh, reacquainted with um, James Keckley. 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 I want to say <laughs> Keckley, um, um, whom she had known in Virginia mm -hmm. and um, consented to marry him on the condition that Hugh Garland, you know, her enslaver, would um, allow her to purchase her freedom. Okay. Um, and... Um, while all of that was going on, she ended up marrying uh, um, James because she loved him. And mm -hmm. so in um, 1852, um, they were married and she was she came to an agreement uh, to purchase her freedom. So, again, we've talked about those um, these these black people who had the skill and were able to negotiate, mm -hmm. you know, to, to buy their freedom. Yep. And that purchase price was about twelve hundred dollars. Oh, wow. It's just amazing that they can put a yeah. price on a person's head, but she was able to do it on August 10th, 1855 with the money um, she that she borrowed from some of her wealthy patrons, mm -hmm. um, which is just a whole nother thing. I would have never imagined um, that that so would have happened. But we know that there were some abolitionists, yeah. right? Well, she may make she making them good dresses, She's too, making, though. What? So they kind of want her to. Yeah. We need you to focus on. Yes, that. we so, need yeah. you to focus on dressing us and making us look very well. Right. Thank you. Um, um, she secured her freedom of her son, right? Because mm -hmm. remember, she had that yeah. child. Um, and the marriage union, however, you know, just really sad. It proved unhappy. Oh. Um, and uh, it says that James had misrepresented himself as free. And in 1860, mm -hmm. um, she left her husband and settled in D.C. So whew, the drama here, right? Yeah. Um, and all of the money she borrowed was repaid in full by that point. So she was able to leave with her debts, you know, Clearly, paid as yeah. well. Um, now in D.C., here we go. We're getting closer to, you know, the White House. Mm -hmm. She built a successful dressmaking career. She became acquainted with Mary Lincoln, um, who she met on President Lincoln's first day in office so okay. she met them from you know the very beginning essentially and her work um 
for and friendship with Mary Lincoln, it permitted her um, a unique view um, to a unique view of events, right? Mm -hmm. Um, During this era. And she wrote about that. She chronicled um, these events in her behind the scenes book. I won't read the entire title again, (laughs) but she wrote about the things that she witnessed. um, And she also became a prominent figure in DC's free black community. Um, She helped, um, um, found and served as the president of uh, the Contraband Relief Association, which later became known as the Ladies Freedmen and Soldiers Relief Association. Okay. Um, and then in the aftermath of, you know, President Lincoln's assassination, she stayed uh, with the First Lady of the United States for a time. This black formerly enslaved woman mm. lived with the former president's wife. Just. Amazing. Why don't we know these stories? Well, we know them now. She stayed with her, um, uh, but the publication of her book, uh, which she revealed private details about life inside of the White House, was very controversial. And of course, it strained the relationship that she had with Mary Lincoln. We can think about prominent figures today Mm -hmm. and when the people close to them tell all, whether it's in a tell all book, right? That's what we call call it or in those magazines in the checkout. How people (laughs) who were besties just last year are, you know, no longer close. Um, And so, you know, without that, though, we we, you know, the people wouldn't have had that inside information. Now, I'm not going to judge whether or not she should have shared those <laughs> things, um, but but she did. Um, and it really, it affected her. Um, I would say I probably wouldn't have because it had a negative effect. Yeah, I um, see that. Yes, on the D.C., um, D.C.'s white community. Yeah. Um, and that hurt her ability to earn a living, yeah. right? Yeah, because um, I can see like other elite people may not want to come oh, around. You may tell what's oh, going might, on yeah. as well. Um, and so at the age of about 74, um, she ended up taking a faculty position at Wilberforce University oh, wow. in Ohio. And we know that is a prominent um, HBCU. We know who that's named after. Yep. Do we know who that's William, named after? William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce yep. and um, who he was. Yep. Um, and she ended up becoming the head of the Department of Sewing and Domestic Science Arts. Just Amazing. Um, You know, she died in May of 1907, Mm -hmm. and um, she actually lived at the National Home for Destitute Colored Women and Children in Washington, Mm D.C. And her son, George, he actually died before her, and uh, he died in 1861, um, and he served... In the Union Army, of mm. course. So he did he, served. Did he, did he died in the, in the he war? He died during the Civil War. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, and he, um, you know, which is also still very important, you yeah, know, in American yeah. history. Um, and so while it's sad, we know that he died a hero yeah. as well. Literally, literally fighting for his freedom. Fighting for his yeah. freedom. Now, there's a purple velvet gown that was designed and made uh, by Elizabeth and worn by Mary Lincoln um, at her husband's second inauguration. And that gown can be viewed at the Smithsonian's American History Museum. So you may have seen that gown and maybe you didn't see who made it or don't remember the name, but that was made um, by uh, Elizabeth Hobbs um, Keckley. So again, just another... Um, 
wonderful uh, story account mm-hmm. that many of us just don't know because it has not been taught to us or maybe it has and you were just really um, fortunate to hear the, the story. Mm-hmm. But um, again, get to know her. Get yeah. to know her. Get familiar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, I think that like, you know, if you have... You know, people have all types of dreams and stuff growing mm-hmm. up with all types of heroes mm-hmm. and all types of people they look up to. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to play football. So mm-hmm. my favorite person was Jerry Rice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I would look up to him like that's the guy I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are, you know, maybe like my daughter wants to be a cook. Mm-hmm. So she may look up to some cooks. And so mm-hmm. one of the things we tried to introduce her to was the history of African-American cooks. Mm -hmm. If you have kids or if you are a person that wants to get into fashion design, like Elizabeth Keckley is somebody who like you should look up, look, look into, Uh look at some of her designs just because of her importance in the American, you know, in the American story Mm -hmm. and and the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I thought again when I was just talking about Dr. King, and okay, that's when I when I think of, you know, the importance of Christianity in America, um, mm-hmm. um, from you know looking at black uh, the black church. I in the same light when I think about um, black fashion, mm-hmm. and you know, like the origins, I was. Like, oh, okay, I'm thinking about Ann Lowe. Yep. Um, who many people may, you know, may not know about. And Ann Lowe even stands on the shoulders, right? Mm-hmm. As we say. Yep. Um, of Elizabeth, thinking about her, um, Elizabeth Cackley, like, okay, you know, I wonder, are they related, you know, or was it something that their families passed yeah. down this wonderful skill, yeah. right? Or maybe Ann Lowe knew about Elizabeth maybe Keckley and Ann said, I want to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't know who Ann Lowe is, Ann Lowe designed a lot of the clothes for Jackie Onassis, Jackie Kennedy. She, she made her um, wedding gown. It's her wedding gown. So. Um, and I believe that is also available in the Smithsonian for people to, yep. to view. Um, and a lot of the, de- I'll go on because you know I love fashion, yep. but a lot of the design <laughs> houses, Henry Bendel, all those, those these prominent design houses and low the designs that we know and love came from this black woman from mm-hmm. Alabama where she went and she led those houses and a lot of the those prominent designs that people who are interested in those things know about come from this woman so wow. yeah man yeah awesome so get familiar do not waste <laughs> this knowledge we're giving mm-hmm. it to y'all mm-hmm. you know and we hope that you know as the things that we share we really hope that you guys take it and it can help you on your journeys mm-hmm. whether it's your journey you know uh, as believers or it's your journey just if you're really starting to get into history mm-hmm. or something that you're interested in mm-hmm. that we are mm-hmm. able to help you guys with that and so thank you for joining us and we will see you next time where we'll have a couple of more people mm-hmm. so thank you thank you